Our reading for today is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 90 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do. O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of God I have set up? Now, when you when hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to, ser- to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We are, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the god we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. 
The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and throw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of the fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save them this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of God. All right. Well, good to be with you again and great to bring you God's word. Let's pray before we start. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that you strengthen us to live for you. Would you do that today as you speak? Would you make, take my words and uh, yeah, would you implant your words into our hearts? In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Trust this one works. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, uh, you've heard this story. We're doing two chapters today, actually. Chapter 6 as well. You know Daniel and the lion's den. And uh, there are these famous children's stories, isn't it? Daniel and the lion's den is in every children's Bible. And often this one as well, the fiery furnace. And they sound like nice children's stories. And there's a lion, row, that kind of thing. Although, as you heard it, I don't think these are nice stories at all, isn't it? Uh, people being burnt up by an oven. In chapter 6, people thrown to the lions, and before they hit the ground, they are, uh, all their bones are broken. And just, here are nice, faithful believers, and people hate them, and they accuse them before the king. And because he's a maniac, they get thrown to their deaths. These are not children's stories at all, isn't it? They are quite tough and harsh. Yet again, that is though what the Christian life is like, isn't it? Sometimes being a Christian is very tough, very harsh. I guess we've seen that especially uh, places like this. Had a, uh, a few years ago, especially the Islamic State... They go around Iraq and Syria. They conquer a town. And uh, if you're a Christian, you get this letter on your door. It's the letter N, Nazarene, you're a Christian. 
And basically, it's an ultimatum, right? You've got one or two days to either convert to Islam, pay half a million Hong Kong dollars, or leave. Otherwise, we'll kill you. It's tough to be a Christian. There's a real cost in some places. I guess Hong Kong, well, we don't get killed here. But I don't know if you've had sometimes that it's, you found it very hard to, to stand up, to be faithful. I don't know, you're at work and your boss wants to, uh, he wants to tweak the finances a bit to make them look better, which is cheating. Uh, would you say yes or would you say no? You know you need to say no, but you might lose your job. You need your job, don't you? Maybe you're a teenager and uh, you're a Christian. Your friends want to watch something that you know you shouldn't. Would you stand up and say no? It's hard, isn't it? Because your friends will make fun of you. They'll mock you. They don't want to be your friends anymore. That's what you're facing, right? Or, I don't know, ancestor rituals. It's nice to be a Christian until you need to do something and you say no. And the more mature you become as a Christian... I guess the worst it would get, right? When you just become a Christian, your life will be very similar to the world. As you grow, as you become more different, as you live openly as a, as a witness, it gets worse and worse. People will notice you and maybe they don't like you. How do we deal with that? And we, we want to be a good witness, but it's scary, right? Losing your job, your friends, your family... What is the secret to faithful Christian living? If you're here visiting, uh, uh, maybe you don't want to become a Christian because, yeah, it sounds so tough. What's the secret? Well, I hope you can see that these chapters will be really relevant because that's, yeah, that's what we're talking about today. Daniel, it's about living in a hostile world, living in exile. Uh, it's going to give us a big view of God, as he will said, that he's in charge and actually no one else is. And that is what enables us. And today especially, yes, standing firm against, well, false worship, compromise, standing firm, whatever the cost. Now, we're doing two chapters, as I said. Uh, that's a lot, so again, I won't go into all the details. Please ask me at home. Please read Daniel yourself. Uh, in two weeks' time, chapters four and five, Although you may wonder, why are we doing chapters 3 and 6? They're not next to each other. Uh, just to explain that, um, can you go to one more, please? One more slide. Chapters 2 to 7, they're kind of organized. They do this a lot in the Old Testament. It's called a chiasm. So chapters 2 and 7 are actually very similar. A vision of four kingdoms. 3 and 6, God's people are rescued. Chapters 4 and 5, a proud king gets humbled. So three and six form a kind of pair, even though they're not next to each other. And as you think about it, if you know, you heard chapter three, we all know Daniel and the lion's den. It's exactly the same story, right? There's this state religion. Either you worship the golden image or you pray only to the king. There's a death penalty, the fiery furnace, the lion's den. Uh, God's people are being accused. In one case, Daniel's friends, the other Daniel. Uh, they can compromise, but they refuse. Uh, they get hold before Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, right, here's your chance, go and worship, and they say no. 
Daniel hears that uh, he can only pray to the king. What does he do? Opens the windows and prays. Both refuse to compromise. And then they are both thrown to their deaths. And they are both rescued by God sending an angel. They both come out unharmed. And both chapters end with the king praising God. Right, we heard it, 328. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. That's how it ends. So it's the same story. And yeah, as you heard, that's what it's about. Not compromising. Because we know and trust God. So how does this chapter help us trust God? Well, the first thing, a bit similar to last week, but it's such an important point. Humans have no real power. Humans have no real power. I mean, both chapters, they have a real contrast between God and the king. It just makes fun of Nebuchadnezzar. You see this chapter, especially chapter 3, we'll spend most of our time there. He's a fake. And Nebuchadnezzar is just a, a fake. In a way, I love the fact that he uh, sets up uh, a golden image. I mean, it's pretty high, very, pretty impressive, eh? 90, uh, 90 feet. But think about it. Last week, he had this dream about a statue with kind of a golden head, silver, bronze, iron. And he was told, well, the golden head, that's you. And after that, three more kingdoms. Now he makes a golden statue that's all gold. What is he thinking? Well, no, no, my kingdom will last forever. As if he can change God's plans. Of course he can't. But, uh, yeah, how does he boost his power? Well, everyone should come and worship this image. And so you get this long list of officials that uh, Celine had to read out so often. And so he gathered the satraps and the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, uh, all these people, and they come along. And then... uh, there's a, I guess they have a huge worship band, isn't it? What was it? Uh, all right, people. And when you hear the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you should bow down. It's just a pompous show, isn't it? It just... And again, again, this list of instruments and instruments, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I think it reminds you the most of... Uh, what is it? This kind of North Korean parade. Uh, you, you've seen pictures of North Korea... And they get all these people, and they're all marching, and they've got their big signs, which they make the face of their great leader. Very impressive. But it's all fake, isn't it? It's all fake. They don't really adore him. It's just that if they don't do it, they get shot. It's very simple. And it's the same here. Yeah, if you don't, don't join in, you get thrown into the fiery furnace. And so, that's what they do. But... There is nothing there to worship. It's just a big lump of metal. About ten times the passage says the image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Again, very repetitive. They came before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they bowed before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And Nebuchadnezzar asks, why don't you bow before the image that I've set up? It's just something that he has set up. It's nothing real. It's just fake. And so, don't fear them, right? It's obvious, don't fear them. It's it's fake, they can't do anything. It's just man-made. 
Yeah, okay, they can throw you in the fiery furnace, yeah. But there's nothing real, nothing supernatural, not compared to the true and living God out there, isn't it? Just man-made. Just like all the big buildings on Hong Kong Island, just man-made. Nothing supernatural, nothing substantial there. Don't fear them. At the same time, I guess as we think of the cost of being a Christian, it's easy to think, well, this is Hong Kong, it's okay. The government here, we have great freedom. Or uh, my boss at work, he's a very nice guy, he likes Christians. And then we kind of forget about the cost. Actually, on this point that humans have no real power, chapter 6 is quite interesting. Even though it's very similar, there's a big difference. If you know Daniel and the lions, then that story, the king is a really nice guy. Nebuchadnezzar, he's a tyrant who throws people in the furnace. Darius is Daniel's best friend. The scary thing is that even if the king is your best friend, you can still get thrown to the lions. You're not safe just because, uh, yeah, uh, the government is nice. And the thing is, they can't help you. So uh, Darius gets tricked. Daniel's enemies, they, oh, why don't you make a law that people can only pray to you? And he thinks that's a great idea. And then Daniel, of course, breaks the law because he prays three times a day. And when the king hears it, 6 verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. And he spent the whole day trying to rescue his friend. But he couldn't. He couldn't. Daniel still has to go into the lion's den. And he, he ends up breaking his own law by, by praying that God would rescue him. Uh, yeah. Don't trust in humans either. Don't fear them, but also don't trust them. I mean, in the sense that don't rely on them. They can't help you. As a Christian, there is a cost. And just because people are nice, there may still be people who hate you and they can get their way. There is this cost. You don't rely on people, but... Of course, we can rely on God, isn't it? That's the big point here. What is the thing that enables us to stand firm? It's knowing God. And especially here... God will deliver you. God will fully deliver you. That's the thing that we need. God will deliver you. That's what happens in both chapters. God rescues them. And how does he do it? What strikes you is that he is perfectly able. Perfectly able. No problem at all. Darius couldn't rescue. He's perfectly able. In chapter 3, that's emphasized, right? So these guys are standing before Nebuchadnezzar. He threatens them. Go and bow down, otherwise, well, you fall into the furnace. End of verse 15. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? What God is able to rescue you? How they respond. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. That's what they believe. No, God is perfectly able. And indeed he is, isn't it? I mean, I love the detail. So this huge hot furnace, 
the guards get too close, they get burnt up. And these guys are thrown in, in their tunics and robes and turbans and all these flammable clothes. And how do they come out? Verse 27. The fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them, not even a smell. It's such a miracle. But yet, that's the God you serve, right? He's got real power, and he can do this. And same with the lions then. Daniel has not a wound, not a scratch. While his enemies, when they're thrown down, before they hit the ground, they're broken in pieces. God is perfectly able to rescue them. Now that's good, right? God can rescue you. You want to be faithful? Well, God can rescue you. But what does that look like for us? Because we don't have lion's dens here and stuff. Now I guess God could, of course, just protect them. He could kind of make sure they don't get caught, right? Daniel opens the window, prays three times a day, and he just never gets caught. That could happen. But I think if you look here, what, it's, what happens more is that it's through the fire, as it says over there. How does God rescue them? Through the fire. And they get caught. They get thrown to their deaths. And they're not kind of isolated, insulated from suffering. They face real suffering. But God brings them through it. They go to the fire but they come through it, right? They come out at the other side. That is the kind of rescue we see here. Yes, they suffer, but they come through it on the other side. And how do they come out? As if it's never happened. As if it's never happened. Right? No smell of fire. Not a scratch from a lion. Nothing. They've lost absolutely nothing. It looks like this great cost. They're going to lose everything. They've lost nothing. They go through the fire, they come out, they've lost nothing. I mean, that's good, isn't it? You're afraid of losing things. You will lose nothing. That is the rescue that we see here. And so for us, yeah, I mean, you're at your work, uh, you're forced to lie, You say, no, maybe nothing will happen. Maybe you won't lose your job. At the same time, there's a good chance you will suffer for being a Christian. And you will lose your job. But God is perfectly able to deliver you. God will bring you through. And so there's a good chance you end up with another job. A better job, right? You can trust God. Do you think God uh, has no control over these things? He does. He's in control, right? He's in charge. He is perfectly able to look after you. Although you then probably wonder, but how about all those people being killed by the Islamic State? Or maybe in the past in China? Didn't God deliver them? It's a very good question. Very good question. Actually, Daniel raises that question later on in the book. And he answers it in chapter 12. But just to say the answer, I guess you know it. When does God deliver his people who were killed? When they're raised from the dead. Right? All these people who are beheaded. Looks like they've lost everything. 
But at the end, they'll be there, resurrected, uh, reigning with Jesus in a new creation, perfect body. They've lost, lost nothing. And that's the hope of the resurrection. The resurrection means you will lose nothing. God will raise you from the dead. You've got everything. You will lose nothing. And so, yeah, you will be sa- you're safe. That's what the picture is. You're safe, right? You will lose nothing. You can stand firm because you will lose nothing. You go through the fire, true. But maybe in this life, certainly in the next life, you will lose nothing. And so our attitude should be, yeah, like these three guys before Nebuchadnezzar. 3 verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship. Now, God may deliver them here. He may not, and do it later. But we won't worship. And that's the application. Serve him alone, whatever the, whatever the cost. Right? Whether it's here or in this life, God will look after you. He'll deliver you. You can stand firm. You can live openly as a Christian. You can say no to false worship. You can say no to compromise. No to sin. Not aggressively. And these people are respectful. Christians should be known for their love and grace and mercy. But it's a sinful world and we will face opposition no matter how loving we are. Look at Jesus. He never hurt anyone. He got killed. But God will deliver you. Anyone who could stand against you has no real power. They're just humans. And there's Satan, but But there's God, and he can fully deliver you. He's in charge. And that's the thing that we just need to know. And next time you're tempted, remember, there's a God who loves you, who rules, and who will raise you from the dead. You can stand firm. You can be like these guys by trusting God. Now, of course as we move to communion in a moment. It's very easy to say this for me (laughs) and for us to say, yeah, I can do that. It's very hard to do, though. I'm sure many of you are aware that, okay, I failed in some of these areas. There are times when I didn't stand firm. Um, Maybe you're just generally so aware of your sin, some of the things that God reveals to you, and you wonder, why would God actually rescue me? Because I'm such a sinner. That's a very good question. Uh, With Daniel, it emphasizes he was rescued because he was blameless. Well, at that time, remember the gospel. Uh, You're not going to be raised from the dead because you're so good. We always fall short. You're going to be raised from the dead because Jesus was good enough. Jesus was so good that God raised him from the dead. He went through the fire. He came out alive. And that is what will happen to you if you trust him. That's the thing you need. It's not just about how, not about how good we are. Jesus wants us to stand firm, but remember the gospel. Great. Well, but we'll think about that more in a moment. Right now we're going to sing a song about our confidence in Christ and how we can live for him. That will be, uh, yeah, in Christ alone.
And this is also our offertory song. So it's when the church family will um, uh, yeah, uh, give to the church. If you're a visitor, please don't, uh, yeah, you, you don't need to give anything. This is for the church family. We're just glad you're here. We want you to receive rather than give. So, uh, yeah, let's stand as the music starts.